Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on January the 10th, 2012. For newcomers, you should always make use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com archives. There's almost a thousand uh, audios for a free download where hopefully you'll get the, the picture of the system you're born into, the, the real one above the media spin, above the political spin. You'll find out who, uh, and the names and organizations and individuals, well over a 100 years who've been putting together this system of what they call globalism. It's actually a, a fixed society, a more, a more scientifically organized society, a society where rather than have democracy, uh, they can get their big projects done without any hubble from the public. And that's really what it's about. It's a scientifically driven society, an ordered society, uh, which will make it much easier for those at the top to bring us down into a, what they call a workable population size and, uh, and, and to manage it better and more efficiently for themselves, those at the top, the elite, the natural Darwinists, the ones who believe that's why they're there already, very, very rich, best schools, best marriages from wealthy parents and so on. So uh, this is a very simple plan. Power never really changes its structure. It simply uses science now to uh, get its particular structure into being much more quicker. And I mean all sciences, and especially the science of the mind, is more important than anything else. So help yourself to those audios. Remember, all the sites listed have transcripts for print of as well in English. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into alanwattsentinel.eu and you'll find a bunch to choose from there. Also remember, you can buy the books and discs I have at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and that keeps me just ticking over. I'm not into an empire business, building business here. I'm trying to just get by. And I don't bring on advertisers as guests, or, and I don't have shares in all the different companies that sell things to you. So, if you buy the books and discs, I might just take on a little bit longer. It's up to you. From the US to Canada, you can order uh, using a personal check to Canada, or you can use PayPal, you can use an international postal money order. Uh, some people just send cash. You can also, across the world, use Western Union, MoneyGram, and again, PayPal to order. And believe you me, donations are awfully welcome. Sometimes uh, people don't want to buy so much, and uh, they'll send a few bucks your, their, your way once in a while when it's very necessary. Now, what I do is I say I chronicle events and give you the histories that led up to where we are today, including generations of brainwashing, uh, including the, the planned wars they always have in every generation to bring in the global society. Remember, you can get more done in five years of warfare uh, from a government level that's taking over all different departments, functions, and, and, and so on under martial law than you can in 50 years of peace and propaganda. That was Carl Quigley that said that. So wars have many different functions. It changes the societies and the cultures on both uh, opponents, actually, as well. That's a very important part of, of the war creation business. And you can see how everyone's given up their rights for, you know, from day one, basically, most folk give up their rights for the old, old, the most ancient story in the book, give up uh, your rights and will give you security. 
And, of course, without any rights, you have no security. You know, the ancient Romans knew that because they're always turning the army out on them. And we're doing the same today, of course, too. Problem is today, with the, the planned wars that were published in the 90s with all the countries that were to be taken out under the new American century, which is a continuation into the Obama regime, uh, you, you find out that America, especially uh, in Canada, to an extent, and Britain and other countries, are going to be the objects of hatred for the next 30 years with uh, dispossessed peoples, the ones owned a bit, a bit of land, maybe a hut or two, and they're not too happy to have it all blown up and stolen uh, and the ground underneath it too by the big corporations. So it means that we're going to live under perpetual so-called anti-terrorism bills and laws and regulations and deeper and deeper and deeper intrusion into our lives if you want to put up with it. That's really the bottom line, isn't it? Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and I mentioned so much of this a big agenda because I've read from the books, sometimes on the air, from big players who took part in the world think tanks. They're not just think tanks, they don't sit around and think, they come up with plans, of course, and then they find ways to implement the plans on an unsuspecting public. After all, if you want to depopulate, you don't bring, you don't, you don't say, well, please step forward for volunteers. It doesn't happen like that, so just go ahead and do it. That's how government really works. Government really hasn't changed since the medieval times or even before. It really hasn't. Francis Bacon, Bacon said the same thing too uh, to King James. He says, he says that it's best that the public never really know the true machinations of government, meaning the true direction, the true purpose, etc., etc., etc. Nothing has changed. In fact, there's more public relations, which is propaganda. As the public relations field is, they should call it plain propaganda. More propaganda experts working for government than you'd ever imagine. Nothing is, is given out to the public unless it goes through the propaganda filter channels where they soften things and twist things and make it sound, oh, innocuous and, you know, quite safe. And uh, over the years, I mentioned too about the depopulation agenda, which has been going on steadily since the 1950s when they started off really with the mass inoculations and then watching the cancers escalate like crazy, all kinds of new cancers they never had before. And today it's all quite normal, because we adapt so quickly, we're normalized into anything at all. And, uh, and we see that happening in, even with the transgenderism and all the rest of the stuff as we go into transhumanism, step by step by step, you're constantly prepared for the next step and the next step, and you adapt and adapt and adapt. And at the same time, they want to bring down the population, as I say, through, through your food, your water, and the needle, as Bertrand Russell said. Big, big player, Bertrand Russell. And um, this article here is from 2002. I've read later articles, too, with even later exposés, because government filters out the truth maybe 20, 30 years, sometimes even 50 years, and there's even a 100-year limit on, on some things they don't want the public to know about. By the time it's released to the public, most have died off, have been experimented on, and, uh, and no one cares. Young folk don't really care about anything that happened in the past. Granddad's ancient history is like the Romans to them. That's how they categorize things. This article here is from 2002, and it says millions were in germ war tests in Britain. The Ministry of Defense turned large parts of the country into a giant laboratory to conduct a series of secret germ warfare tests on the public. Now, for the hard of thinking, 
it's, it's good to always go back a little bit. Once we talk in bits and bytes and, 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 and text each other bits and bytes of information, you know, they're the heart of thinking. So you have to say things sometimes twice or three times to them to get their attention. A series of secret germ warfare tests on the public. Now, the, the, the Minister of Defence, you'd think, is there to protect the public, isn't it? So Orwellian is such a world that we live in, isn't it? A government report just released provides for the first time a comprehensive official history of Britain's biological weapons trials between 1940 and 1979. And mind you, this is, this is what the government's giving out. Some of this stuff can't be released for another 40, 50 years. Sometimes at the end of that, they can restamp it for another 40, 50 years. It says many of these tests involved released, were releasing potentially dangerous chemicals and microorganisms over vast swaths of the population without the public being told. Does that ring a bell with all the chemtrails going on right now? You know? Well, while details of some secret trials have emerged in recent years, the 60-page report reveals new information about more than 100 covert experiments. That's a lot of scientists, these wonderful psychopaths, the new priesthood and the white coats, getting big paychecks from your tax money to find ways to kill you and sicken you and study you. And, and they're quite calm about it. Yeah, we'll get sick and, and they get all the medical reports coming in from hospitals and, and they go, hmm, isn't that interesting? You know, the trachea, uh, it's totally closed, totally closed up here. Isn't that interesting, Bertie? And, and that's how they talk to each other. We're not people, you see, but it's creatures, it's lab rats. The report reveals that military personnel were briefed to tell any inquisitive inquirer and the trials were part of research projects into weather and air pollution. Does that also ring a bell? <laughs> the tests carried out by government scientists at Port and Down were designed to help the Minister of Defence assess Britain's vulnerability if the Russians were to have released clouds of deadly germs over the country. And so what they did, you see, is... is they doused the people with deadly uh, germs over the country just to see what the Russians would do. How would it be if the Russians did it with their version of it, you see? In most cases, the trials did not use biological weapons, but alternatives which scientists believe would mimic germ warfare in which the MOD claimed were harmless. But families in certain areas of the country who have children with birth defects are demanding a public inquiry. They're still waiting, by the way. These all kinds of things, even radioactive substances too, over vast, vast areas of uh, the, especially uh, England, southern England, or the, the eastern part of England. One chapter of the report says the fluorescent particle trials revealed how between 55 and 1963 planes flew from northeast England to the tip of Cornwall along the south and west coast, dropping huge amounts of zinc cadmium. Now, it's a highly carcinogenic substance on the population. The chemical drifted miles inland, is fluorescence allowing the spread to be monitored. In another trial using zinc cadmium sulfide, a generator was towed along a road near Frome in Somerset where it spewed the chemical for an hour. But that was per day, by the way. We only found out because it was an American who was top went over from the American forces to work with them who came back to America and blew the whistle. It didn't want it to be done in the U.S. Well, the government has insisted the chemical is safe, Cadmium is recognized as cause of lung cancer and during the Second World War was considered by the Allies as a chemical weapon. Why is that? It's because it is a chemical weapon. <laughs> in, a large, uh, in another chapter, Large Area Coverage Trials, the MOD describes how between 61 and 1968, more than a million people along the south coast of England, from Turkey to the New Forest, were exposed to bacteria, including E. coli. That's like a pretty deadly thing to mix into Bacillus globuli, which mimics anthrax. These releases came from a military ship, the Ice Whale, 
anchored off the Dorset coast, which spread the microorganisms in a 5 to 10 mile radius. It also sprayed again the cadmium as well, I should say that too. The report also reveals details of the DICE trials in South Dorset between 71 and 75. These involved U.S. and U.K. military scientists spraying into the air massive quantities of Ceratia, uh, it's called Marcescens bacteria, with an anthrax simulant and phenol. It says similar bacteria were released in the sabotage trials, as we call them, between 52 and 1964. These tests would determine the vulnerability of large government buildings and public transport attack. In 1956, bacteria were released on the London Underground at lunchtime along the northern line between Collierswood and Tooting Broadway. The results show that the organism dispersed about 10 miles. Similar tests were conducted in tunnels running under government buildings in Whitehall. Experiments conducted between 1964 and 73 involved attaching germs to the threads of spiders' webs in boxes to test how the germs would survive in different environments. These tests were carried out in a dozen locations across the country, including London's West End, Southampton and Swindon. The report also gives details of more than a dozen smaller field trials between 1968 and 1977. This is now the MOD's commissioned two scientists to review the safety of these tests. And they always, in other words, they hire their own scientists and tell them what to do. That's how they're a military bunch, you see. Both reported that there was no risk to the public health, although one suggested the elderly or people suffering from breathing illnesses may have been seriously harmful, harmed if they inhaled sufficient quantities of the microorganisms. Some families in areas which bore the brunt of the secret tests are convinced the experiments have led to the children suffering birth defects, physical handicaps, and learning difficulties as well. So anyway, they were demanding an official inquiry, but they'll never get it. And it goes on and on and on. And as I say, it's only one of many of the so-called press releases under the Official Secrets Act. It also means they don't have to give you an awful lot of the worst ones, which they also did as well. They were trying, by the way, a spraying zinc cadmium and other metallic particles back in the 1950s in Britain and uh, and in Scotland as well, up in Scotland, because I saw that myself in the 60s. So anyway, it says here, that uh, they can do, basically do what they want, isn't it? It's all, it's all for your good, you see. You can't tell the public because, well, then you'd know and you wouldn't be too happy about being, well, poisoned and given all these strange bacteriums and viruses, etc. But with a National Health Service, it's great because you can get all the real-time data flooding through, nowadays through computers, right to one computer right in Ottawa. They actually put one in. So they can get live time, you know, how many folk are going into the doctor's offices, clinics with different problems and breathing difficulties, etc. It's, it's really great if you're up there at the top these days. Now, I mentioned too about psychopathy and how psychopaths gravitate towards power. They love power. They love uh, cash. And uh, they love uh, to be up there in the limelight as well. It says, Toronto, if you're a successful criminal, here you are, a study is done, chances are you have what it takes to be a successful businessman, says self-made multimillionaire and TV personality Kevin O'Leary. That's the premise behind the Leary's new CBC television reality series Redemption Inc., which puts 10 ex-convicts through a series of weekly and entrepreneurial challenges to see who most deserves $100,000 investment in their dream business. Every criminal is a businessman. Think about it, says O'Leary, best known as a brash judge on CBC TV's Dragon's Den and the outspoken co-host of CBC's news network, The Lang and O'Leary Exchange. 
If you're a very successful drug dealer, you're a logistics expert. You're great in sales, you're great in marketing, you're great at inventory control. And now you can apply those talents to something that's legal as opposed to illegal. That's the whole idea of the show. The 10X Cons and Redemption include a former uh, cocaine trafficker who dreams of of starting up a uh, truffle farm, a former thief with hopes of starting his own tattoo shop, and a former crack dealer who wants her own snow removal business. I I guess the stuff is much the same colour, eh? Each episode puts their business acumen to the test by dropping them into real-world scenarios to show off their sales, marketing, and teamwork skills. At the end of nine weeks, a single candidate deemed no selected to succeed gets $100,000 to start a business. Not bad, eh? It's a crime pays, you see. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix. I'll also put up tonight at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. I put all these links up, mind you, but I'll also put up one to do with uh, the secret presidential chemtrail budget uncovered and Congress exceeds billions to spray, spray populists like roaches. I'll put that up there as well for those who care to have a, a look at it. And I mentioned a few days ago too about Canada, how it's going to be so-called deregulated. It's a great con, this deregulation stuff. Because the same big boys at the top always hold that the majority, they actually hold, it's their business, they simply sublet it out to smaller carriers. A dystopian future for Canada's internet, it says. On Tuesday, independent Canadian ISP Tech Savvy announced its new service plans, effectively dropping the other shoe in the long-running uses-based internet billing debates. They want to have you, you know, bill by use, basically. It says Tuesday, the independent Canadian ISP Tech Savvy announced its new service plans, dropping the other shoe and long-running usage-based internet billing debate. While on the surface there are some things to like, at the core, the new plans, the regulatory system they're based on, paint a disturbing picture of the future of Canada's internet. The CRTC set things in motion in November, but this government ordered revisit of the issue and came up with something called capacity-based billing. It's not like quantitative easing, you know. <laughs> they come up with these names. A sort of diet UBB. In essence, instead of large network owners charging undie or indie ISPs for every byte their customers download, the new system requires the smaller companies to buy chunks of capacity based on how much they think they're going to need on a monthly basis. You can imagine the catastrophe that will cause, because it'll never be the same. As Jesse Brown noted on the site earlier of the week, while some commentators praised the decision, others, including Tech Savvy, said the regulators screwed things up again. While the system itself was okay, the fees that a few big network owners are allowed to charge through it were way too high, the company said, which will inevitably result in price increases for customers. Well, of course, it always happens. All eyes have seen have uh, been on Tech Savvy, one of the largest and most vocal of the UBB opponents, to see what it would do. In the end, the company's new plans and the company explanations are something of a mixed bag. On the one hand, most existing plans are going up by 3 to $4, which fits the predictions by some observers that CRTC's ruling would push up rates by 10 to 15%. The issue, as Tech Savvy puts it, is that while it fixes the cost actually, it actually went down somewhat thanks to the decision, the variable ones can potentially go up significantly, the company's pricing notice reads. So... I'll put this one up as well for you. They're going on and on about it. But the fact is, 
we're certainly going to go up and up and up and up and up. And then you give you other countries where they've already tried it, Australia, New Zealand, etc. Uh, and, and that's how they do things now. Well, so-and-so is doing that. You know, they cut heads off in China. We should do the same thing here. And uh, and that's, that's how they really justify things today, isn't it? Someone else is doing it. So I'll put this one up for you to have a wee gander at, as I say. And another one, too, is uh, to do with... Um, uh, the generation gimme. You see, you've had different generations, X, Y, and all the rest of it. Now it's generation gimme. It's quite a good little little uh, documentary. It's a video, and it's about questions that are asked up to, to students, basically, what they, what they think of America, how they see America, and uh, how they've been taught, basically, Marxism in, in, in the school system. And they think that the government is there to give them everything that they want, including paying their way through universities and, and so on. So you should have a little look at this. It's quite an interesting uh, thing to, to, to see the different um, studies that are being done on how, again, every generation grows up with this new indoctrination, and they have a different America, and they see a different America, and they'll bring in a different America. They'll bring in the America that those who brainwash them want, you see. Every generation does. This article here, too, says, refuse to eat these foods. They could destroy your reproductive organs. Now, there's a big thing about making us all sterile. It's a big, real mandate, folks. And there's big articles up there from the big boys themselves talking about ways to do it. And they've actually been doing it, of course, because we're almost sterile now in the West. And this article says, avoid genetically engineered corn and soy. Sometimes they call it GE which have already been shown to reduce fertility in animals. Private firm, firm plans a release of genetically modified mosquitoes into the environment of the Florida Keys sometimes this month. This month, In an effort to produce, reduce the mosquito population, the mosquitoes are genetically modified with a gene designed to kill them unless given an antibiotic known as tetracycline. Offspring of the GM mosquitoes will thus die before reaching adulthood. Genetic engineering of both plants and animals is in full swing. As a result, virtually all processed foods and beverages contain at least one genetically engineered ingredient. Animal-based foods are so also affected, such as meat and eggs, as conventionally raised livestock are typically fed GE feed. That's genetically engineered stuff with all different kinds of genes and stuff added to it, of which tend to bioaccumulate in the animal. And plus it's full of toxins from the sprays they use to raise the feed too. What will happen when we increasingly begin to replace natural-born life forms with genetically engineered versions based on the best evidence available that the end result is bound to be less than ideal for human survival? That's the point of all. Animal studies have linked GE crops to a wide variety of health problems from abnormal immune responses and organ disruptions to reproductive problems in both male and female. Glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup, used in large doses in GE uh, Roundup-ready crops, has also been linked to fertility problems in male and female rats, along with a 35% drop in testosterone levels and otherwise non-toxic glyphosate levels. None of this is a coincidence because these chemicals really are old chemicals. They knew what it did a long, long time ago. But it fits in the big agenda, eh? Right? You can be sterile like a eunuch, but you can still eat all your fashion stuff. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix. Reading an article about uh, the wonderful experiments they're doing uh, with the GM food and mosquitoes, etc. And it says here that the first GM mosquito release took place in the Cayman Islands in 2009. I think Bill Gates has something to do with that. And then second in Malaysia in 2010. Now residents of the Florida Keys, like those of the Cayman Islands and Malaysia, will be subjected to these genetically manipulated insects without having any say in the matter. That's wonderful. You see, that this is we're post-democratic, as I keep telling you. The Natural Society reports the mosquitoes are genetically modified with a gene designed to kill them unless given an antibiotic known as tetracycline. How many folk can it bite in the meantime, though? That doesn't probably well, wait and see. It's another experiment, isn't it? Offspring of the GM mosquitoes will receive the same lethal gene, which will kill the offspring before it can ever reach adulthood. As more genetically modified mosquitoes mate with wild mosquitoes, the idea is that more and more offspring will be produced with a lethal gene, thereby reducing the mosquito population. Of course, the risks these mosquitoes post are highly unknown. With release of genetically modified insects could come the downfall of both local and global ecosystems. Never mind the fact that these things can start mutating in the wild as well, and goodness knows where they'll end up. It says, with the biotech industry remaining steadfast in their official stance, the genetically engineered foods and animals are safe, even though there's not a single study came back actually to say that any of this stuff's safe. You eat cans of the stomach, it's very common with the, the, the rubbish we eat today. And provide valuable benefits, reality is telling us otherwise. It says, genet- genetic engineering of plants and animals is in full swing. Unfortunately, many people are still completely in the dark about genetic engineering taking place, both in plants and animals. I've written numerous articles about the health dangers of genetically engineered foods, and whilst I've not covered the issue of genetically modified animals to any great extent, this too is taking place. For example, sheep that are 15% human have already been developed in an effort to create spare parts for organ transplants, and goats have been engineered to deliver spider silk in their milk. Cows have also been genetically engineered to create something more akin to human breast milk in an effort to make cow's milk more nutritious. The list goes on, but you probably get the gist. While the rationale behind all these experiments appears altruistic, well, not in business, it ain't, the fact of the matter is that we're playing with and artificially altering carefully balanced systems, and when we do so, unexpected ramifications are virtually guaranteed to occur, because we simply do not understand all there is to know as of yet. And, of course, they do know what, what it's causing. So this, as I say, all, even the, the, the genetically engineered potatoes, for goodness sake, were killing uh, mice and rats, giving them cancers of the stomach. Well, you know, we're all mammals, you know. What do you think happens to us as well? So I would say that the depopulation agenda is in full swing. And it's amazing. It's so amazing, too, as I say. When you understand that every profession has to, has to be ticketed or licensed by the government, and what that does basically is keep everybody in line. And you can't, if you're, if you're a doctor, you've got to keep your mouth shut on certain things that you might happen to see or notice as time goes on in the general population. And you, and you have to do with, for instance, all childhood inoculations. You, you, every single doctor knows what's happening. They all darn well know. Every single one of them knows because they see the effects of the mothers coming back with the child after they've had their, their early uh, mumps, rubella, etc., measles injections, and they see the amount of autism that's happened as well. They know. They, don't, they darn well know. 
But it's the same t- with all these scientists involved in this stuff as well. They know what it's doing to the human population, and it's not happening by accident. Because remember Tony Blair, when Tony Blair was in Britain, he mandated, he was mandating that all Britain must accept the, the modified um, uh, crops and, and so on from Monsanto. But in the same breath, he he said that uh, certain places will be exempt, including the own parliamentary for all the politicians uh, restaurant. He said they'll still be eating organic food. Well, why would he make such an exemption if this stuff is so darn safe? Hey? It's common sense, you know. It's common sense, isn't it? One more article. The Greek parents uh, nowadays now are too poor to care for their children and they're turning them into the church in droves because of the so-called austerity that we've all to go under shortly and uh, they can't afford to have their children anymore. Lots of them have lost their houses and they're homeless. I'll put this link up as well. And uh, it's just portent of of what's to come to the rest of the so-called civilized world. Thanks to the bankers and the fanatics behind them that work for the bankers that must uh, bring their particular monetary system into fruition, uh, regardless of the hell it creates on the way. Regardless. Another article, two child sexual abuses uh, in in Hollywood. uh, So many more cases now that are attracting attention. I'll put this up as well. It seems to be escalating there, but there's nothing new in that, because Hollywood is the den of iniquity of all kinds. And uh, they say you can get anything you want in Hollywood, and they really, really mean it. They, they really mean it. You, you, whatever you, you're after, you've got cash, you'll, you'll get it. You'll get it there. It's even a bit worse than Las Vegas in some ways. And another article, too, I want to put up tonight is from LifeSec News, and it's about, again, how they change terminology to change the way you think about things. And it says, the anger and disgust that most of us experienced when we learned of the allegations of sexual abuse of boys in the sports programs at Penn State and Syracuse University suggests our cultural norms about the sexual abuse of minors are intact. Yet it was only a decade ago that a parallel movement had begun on some college campuses to redefine pedophilia as the more innocuous intergenerational sexual intimacy. That's the way they would prefer you call it, you see. I'll put that link up as well. It's quite a lengthy article, and it's very, very true indeed. These organizations are well-funded by the big foundations that fund just about everything else that destroys society uh, by intention, of course. It's not by accident whatsoever. This is all happening. They're all always incredibly well-funded. Always. It's astonishing. Now, I'll go to the callers now because there's some folk waiting from long distance. There's the Darren from Ireland. Are you there, Darren? Hello, Alan. Hello. Hello, Alan. How are you? Not bad at all, yeah. Um, a book I'd like to recommend to all your listeners is a book called The Shallows, uh, How the Internet is Changing the Way We Think, Read, and Remember by Nicholas Carr. It's a cheap uh, book. It's it's an amazing read, and it goes through the history of reading and the Internet and what it's doing to our little fragile minds. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll read a quick uh, page from 108 in the book. Um this is from an article in 2005, the annual, annual review of sociology. The recent changes in our reading habits suggest that the era of mass reading, book reading, was a brief anomaly in our intellectual history. We are now seeing such reading return to former, a former social base, a self-perpetuating minority that we now shall call the reading class. And... Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah. I'll read it. Another one. It's full of it's uh, it's full of all quotes from uh, nearly a hundred years now. And there's a here's a quote from 1989 in the Harper article by Edward Bellamy. Um, the future is all about me. And in his article, he says, um, with the eyes shut, people would carry around tiny audio players called indispensables, uh, which would contain all their books, newspapers, and magazines. Mothers, wrote Bellamy, uh, Bellamy would no longer have to make themselves horse telling children's bedtime stories on rainy days uh, or to keep them out of mischief. The kids would all carry their own indispensables. And uh, it's kind of funny, uh, 100 years down the line, Nearly everyone has a, an iPod or an MP3, yeah. keeping them quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll read something else as well. This is from page 116 of the same book. When we go online, we enter an environment that promotes cursory reading, hurried and distract, distracted thinking, and superficial learning. It is possible to think deeply while surfing the net, just as it's possible to shallow think shallowly while reading a book. But that's not the type of thinking the technology encourages or rewards. One thing is very clear. If knowing what we know today about the brain's plasticity, you you were to set out to invent a medium that would rewire and our mental circuits as quickly and as thoroughly as possible, you would probably end up designing something that looks a lot like the Internet. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I even... Uh, it's, it's just amazing to, to really see... The, the thing that most people ha- hold in their hands now, it's been planned for 100, maybe not even 200 years more. Yeah, yeah. H.G. Uh, Wells also talked about the world brain, which would be a supercomputer, which would have all data on everything that people could be able to tap into, and he wrote that again in the early 1900s. So uh, they knew where they were going with all of this. Of course, it's easy to do it. All you do is make sure all the the funding for science is directed at the science that you want to be brought in. <laughs> it's, it's that easy. You don't, you don't give out grants and say, do what you want and find things out. You say, we want you to study on this particular path and come up with X, Y, Z, you know. And that's that's how you make sure that uh, you can actually do it. So you, whatever you want will eventually be done with unlimited financing. Yeah. Hello. I'll read one last thought from this book. Um, it's from uh, Franklin Roosevelt, science advisor during World War II. Mm-hmm. And he writes, this is what he uh, proposed, the world is arriving in an age of cheap, complex devices of great reliability, and something is bound to come of it. He proposed, uh, Mr. Bush, yeah, proposed that it would be useful not only to scientists, but to anyone implying logical process of thought and he called this machine a memex. Incorporated into a desk, the memex, wrote Bush, is a device in which an individual stores a compressed form of all his books, records, and communications, in which is mechanized so that it may be consulted with exceeding speed and flexibility. On top of the desk are translucent screens on which there are projected images of the stored materials, as well as a keyboard, a set of buttons and levers to navigate the database. The essential feature of the machine is to use the use of associative indexing to link different pieces of information. Any item may be caused at will to be selected immediately and automatically. The processes of two things together, Bush emphasized, which is the very important thing. Mm-hmm. With the Memex, Bush anticipated both the personal computer and the hypermedia system as the World Wide Web.
And I hope people realise that the internet might be full of amazing facts, but it's it's not promoting deep thought. It's it's actually doing the opposite. You're outsourcing you're outsourcing memory, and you're not making you can't you can't make the connections while using the internet. You have to have the space and the time to consolidate memories that go in, and and you can only do that with a, like, the likes of books or. Yeah. In, in well, most vocal followings, they've done many studies and they find that people who read the e-books uh, but from the computer uh, can't retain very much of it at all. But if they print it up, uh, it's a completely different story. They can actually retain a good deal of it. So it's bits and bytes they, they retain uh, if they simply read off the screen. And it's, in des- it's designed that way too with all the distractions and so on. So uh, it's, it's a weapon. It's a weapon for those who want to rule the minds of the masses. It's not too difficult to do. And uh, it was designed, even with all its pornography, long before they gave it to the general public. Uh, so it's a, a weapon. They could never bring in, by the way, the New World Order and total observation of every citizen without the computer. Couldn't be done. So this was a must-be even during World War II and prior to that to bring in something that would connect us all, that could spy on every single one of us. It was essential for that for world government in a totalitarian system. But, but thanks for calling, and you're quite right. And there's Daniel hanging on from the UK there as well. Are you there, Daniel? Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can, yeah. Yeah, it's funny what your previous caller was saying, because I noticed my memory is terrible now after using the internet so much. I think yeah. it's because you can't focus on anything. You click, 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 and you look at something else and something else. And um, I'm sure that's why on televisions, incidentally, they... They flash lots of images, even though yes. they never they never actually hold an image on any for more than a, a half a second. Don't they? That's right. Every, yeah. They always flash on everything, and you can't focus um, mm-hmm. on any one thing. I mean, I've, only when I've seen it in places I've gone. But what I wanted to ask was, um, I was looking at Russia today. I noticed all this big, massive build-up, mm-hmm. um, but you know, with Iran, you know, yeah, they got these uh, building hospitals in in Georgia as well. Yeah. Um, Americans building hospitals in Georgia and put all these thousands of troops around ready to go into Iran. Um, but they say it's a training exercise. Um, but then they always say that, don't they? Yeah, they always do. <laughs> I mean, they, they seem to be quite lucky because every time they have a training exercise, it seems to start off a war, doesn't it? Sure, yeah, sure it is. Yeah. But um, you remember once I phoned up and we were talking about uh, cancer? Yeah. Um, James Goldsmith. Well. I wonder if you might let me read a very short bit out of Russia Today about Chavez. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I heard the story, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, um, it says, America has troops on the ready outside North Korea, has spy drones stationed to enter Iran, and has God knows how many other secrets up its sleeves. What else could the U.S. be up to? If you ask Hugo Chavez, it's cancer. The creation and spreading of cancer over Latin American leaders that's what Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez said on Wednesday this week while addressing troops at a military base, a speech that was televised across country. Speaking only a day after Argentina President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner was diagnosed with the disease, Chavez suggested and he suggested and he stressed, he only suggested that the toll of neighboring leaders diagnosed with cancer seems almost too odd to be true. Chavez recently had a tumor removed from his pelvis and Fernandez and he joined the list of Latin American figureheads with the disease. The author also includes Paraguay's Fernando Lugo 
Brazil's Dilma Rousseff and former Brazilian leader Luiz Inácio uh, Lula da Silva. And the quote says, it's a bit difficult to explain this, to reason it, including using the law of probabilities, said Chavez, who called the coincidence very, very, very strange. Um, it, it would not be strange if they had developed the technology to induce cancer and nobody knew about it until now. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just reflecting. Um, yeah. And he says, speaking to the troops, the leftist leader, a long-time opponent of American policy, said that another Latin American leader, Fidel Castro, warned him years earlier of what the U.S. is capable of. Fidel always told me, Chavez, take care. These people have developed technology. You are very careless. Yeah. Take care what you eat, what they give you to eat, a little needle, and they inject you with I don't know what, insisted Chavez. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially it. But, I mean, I mean, we only mentioned that the other you were saying they put a little bit of um, uranium on your car seat, and now yeah. you've got this world leader who's in, op you know, in opposition to the U.S., and all these South American leaders have got cancer. Mm -hmm. oh, it's a whole field in itself, and it's, a, it's part of the, the tools of, of the, the hitman, basically. Uh, they got, they got actual form of air pistols that can fire very high blasts of, of very narrow beams of air, basically, maybe an inch wide, a half inch wide or even smaller, and uh, and take particles of uranium into the, uh, through insufflation. There's no mark on the skin. It'll go right through your skin. That's old stuff from the 60s the CIA were using. So they're, they're way ahead of that now. And, and plus two with all the, the other technological weapons that they've got through electronics, they can target people uh, in line of sight, uh, even from a cell phone tower. As that came out from Finland. It was patented and uh, basically, eventually, beaming you long enough, you'll get cancer too. But thanks for calling, you're quite right. Back after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. We'll go to Aaron from Nevada, if he's there. Hi, Alan. Yes. Uh... Hey, I just got to chime in. It wasn't really what I want to talk about, but I have to say this first. Let's, I want to remind those people from the United Kingdom that uh, they are hand in glove with everything America is doing. So the idea of being like a David Icke and blaming Americans or American government for everything mm -hmm. is false. I'm not going for it. And I'll just remind them that Karl Marx is buried in London, and he was exiled there and did most of his uh, important work there in Yep. Jolly old England. He's actually buried, I think, in Hyde, Hyde Park, and right opposite him is Mr. Spencer of Marks and Spencer. So you got Marks and Spencer right opposite each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, any miscreant is welcome in the, in London to come up with, uh, you know, dismantling uh, ideas and concepts for the world to latch onto uh, over time. Yeah. So uh, just be clear on that. But anyways, um, like I was studying a couple things. Uh, about in the 20s, this uh, in Germany, this uh, school developed as a method based on Marxism, and it was this thing called critical thinking. Yeah. Basically, they attack a society's norms and precepts, and they just by endless criticizing and breaking everything down. You know. That was a Frankfurt school. Yeah, Frankfurt school. Yeah, did that. bingo. Yeah. And I was like, and they got chased out of Germany when Hitler rose to power. So where did they go? Uh, Chicago and New York. That's right, and, and they, they were funded by the government from then on, by the way. Yeah. 
Okay, and so there's that, and I was like, wow, okay, that told me a lot. And that's, that follows along your line of thinking, you know, uh, and everything. So, and the other thing, I was listening to this other radio show. I don't usually listen to it. There's like a guy with the pointy boots and this bullhorn or something on this guy. Pounds the table all the time. Anyways, he had a caller who lived in San Francisco and went downtown and conducted his own little survey, which I thought was brilliant. I was like, that's a good idea. Uh-huh. And he asked everybody in the United Nations Plaza, like, you know, like, uh, you know, broad cross-section of people walking around and stuff. He said, what do you think about world government? Are you for world government, you know, the idea, concept, or whatever, or against it? And the numbers were shocking. He said specifically that every single Hispanic or Latino, however you want to phrase it, that he asked this question of was for world government. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was really an ominous finding. So I'm, uh, you know, I, I want to do my own poll too and see, you know, we may be, this is really an uphill battle if you have a huge elements of the society that think world government is a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why even in, in Britain and elsewhere too, uh, when it was generally the, the, the so-called labor or liberal governments that brought them in on the promise that they get the vote from them too, but uh, that was part of the indoctrination as well, uh, that, that uh, we're all internationalists, etc., uh, etc., et and uh, that would eventually er- erode the, the concept of, of uh, being patriotic to a national government, and there must be international, so you're quite right, yeah. Thank you very that, much. That, that's taught in school now too, though, you know. It's taught in school and university, so it's well on its way. Again, intergenerationally, just bump it up a bit and up a bit more. If the average Canadian, uh, I hear the music coming in, the average Canadian coming out of school now, if you ask me about communism, all they know is that it was a wonderful experiment where people tried to, to take charge of their, their own lives and themselves and, and work commonly together for the greater good. That's all they know. That's all they know. They know nothing about the mass slaughters, millions upon millions of slaughters and executions carried out by it either. And that's the sadness. And those who control the reins of power control the reins of the educational system. From Hamish myself, to your candidates, good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you. And sorry, Judy, couldn't get to you. Maybe get you tomorrow. <laughs>